0: Well, we're in Nehemiah chapter 7 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. And uh, we'll read the text here in just a few minutes. But let me just say again, we are so glad that you're here today. Many of you come for the very first time. Or maybe you've come to church for the first time in a long time. And we just want you to know we're delighted that you're here. And God bless you. You should have received a, a worship guide when you came in from one of our ushers. And inside that, uh, you will see a little registration card. If you would, take, that, take a moment and fill that out and uh, return it to us somehow some way you can put it in the offering plate or you can come to the uh... the ministry mall area uh... my wife and i will be there we'd love to receive that we'd love to meet you and greet you give you one of the books that i've written just to say god bless you thank you for being our guest here uh, at great hills and so many good things are happening and going on i'm just grateful to god to be here today i promise you It is a blessing to stand even though I am in pain as I am speaking to you even now. My chest hurts and my hand hurts. The whole right side of my body hurts as I had a bad wreck Sunday after church last week. I was uh, riding down the road and took my eye off the the road for just a minute and, and went tumbling, and I'm telling you, it is a difficult thing in your 50s to recover than it is in your 20s. It's just how that thing works. But uh, in the emergency room, they did lots of tests. Uh, they they did a neck, a, a head. They said they found a little brain in there, which is good. I'm glad they found a brain, and uh, they did find a heart. They were concerned about my heart because of the injury, the the trauma, was so close to my heart. But they they looked at that and they looked looked me over really good. Hard to breathe, but um, I'm just—I just feel like I had to be here today to share this message with you, and it's going to take—God bless you—it's <laughs> going to take me just a just a few minutes to get get my wind un, underneath me so I can um, so I can pray. So maybe as I'm preaching, maybe some of you intercessory prayer warriors can just be going to the Lord in prayer and praying for me as I, as I share this message with you today. Now, when you first look at Nehemiah chapter seven, you may be tempted to do what I did 23 years ago as a young pastor. I was preaching through the book of Nehemiah. And when I came to chapter 7, all I saw was a bunch of names that I could not pronounce. And I was like, well, I know it's in there for a reason, God, but I'm just going to go from chapter 6 to because look at chapter 8. Oh, my word. And chapter 8 is just one of those texts in the Bible. It is revival. I mean, it is a movement of the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God. I mean, it is just on. And and in my haste and in my excitement to get to chapter 8, I just went right on through chapter 7. And here I am, 23 years removed, still a pastor, still preaching. And so as I was in my my bed, and I I was in bed for three solid days, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I had my computer, and thank you for Lagos. Thank God for Lagos. Uh, the Bible software. It is amazing. And thank you, Great Hills, for buying that for me many years ago. And so I'm I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm going, wait a minute. There's a lot here in chapter 7. No wonder God has preserved Nehemiah chapter 7 and Ezra chapter 2. When you compare those two texts, you will notice that they are almost identical because they contain the names and the people of those who left the captivity in Babylon, and this would be 538 B.C., and they made their way back to Jerusalem. And so, Nehemiah, he has this list before him, just like uh, Ezra had the list before him, and and it contains the name of Zerubbabel and all of their family and their friends. Now, remember, this would be about a 100 years before. And so, Nehemiah chapter 7, beginning in verse 6 to the end of the chapter, you can read it, There are tons of names and families and people, and all of those names are in there for a reason. And I was reminded as I was reading over this text this week that, you know, all of our names matter to God. God has all of us on planet Earth for a purpose. His preeminent purpose is for all of us to know Him and glorify Him and worship Him. And His purpose is for us to become to become followers of His Son, and to be filled with His Holy Spirit as we sang about a moment ago, and to live lives of purpose, and to live lives of peace, and and to be peacemakers on this earth. And so, God's recorded all these names just like God has recorded your name, and God has recorded my name. You know why? Because our names matter. Our names matter to God. God created us. Our family gave us the name, but God created us in our mother's womb, and He's allowed us to live a life here on earth. In our lives, what we do with it is our gift back to God as the gift of life is God's so gracious gift unto us. And so Nehemiah 7, one through five is our text today. And I'm gonna read this with you and it's just really amazing. And i, I tell you, I, I, I feel badly in my church 23 years ago that I did not study and prepare a message out of these first five verses. So let me read them to you as we look at the text today. As we talk about this task of building the wall, finishing our task, finishing strongly. So let's look at it. Then it was, when the wall was built, now this is Nehemiah, he is given a recollection, okay? The wall has been built. It took him 52 days. He said, and then I hung the doors when the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Then I, you're, you're gonna notice many personal pronouns in this little pericope, in this little narrative of scripture. Because Nehemiah, he is the leader. He is the unquestioned leader of Jerusalem, the governor of Jerusalem from 444 to about 432 BC. God has appointed him, God has selected him to lead the people of God to be the governor of this great city, Jerusalem. And now they've built the wall, circle. I mean, all the way around the perimeter of the old city. They've built the wall in 52 days. They have hung the the doors and and the gates are ready. And then he says, and then I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother, Hanani. Now, this would be his blood brother, church. So much for nepotism. This is his brother. He's like, he's the best guy for the job. And so I'm going to appoint him to be the leader or in charge of Jerusalem. I believe Nehemiah has some day-to-day operations. He's got some things that just has to be done. And so as the leader, he has the wisdom and the wherewithal to be able to delegate responsibility. Not a micromanager, but somebody who just says, listen, God's given me this task, and I need help, and can I just delegate this to you? And so Hanani, his brother, says, yes, and I'll take it. And then he says, Hanani. And this was the leader of the citadel. He appoints Hanani and Hanani. For he was a faithful man, and he feared God more than many. And then I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Now, the city was large, Nehemiah says, and it was very spacious. But the people in it were very few, and the houses were not rebuilt. And I love verse 5, and I told you earlier, he's got lots of me and my and I, but this, this is just his revelation to us. This is God speaking to Nehemiah and preserving this amazing text so that we could read it today and be blessed and be encouraged by it so that we too, whatever our task may be, that we could complete it and finish it well. Then my God put it in my heart. I love that phraseology. God, my God, put it in my heart to do the following, to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they might be registered by genealogy. Now that's where the listing comes in. And I found a register of the genealogy. Now this was the register of Zerubbabel. This was a hundred years old. This is 538 when Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians says, the Jews, you can go back to Jerusalem. And so they gathered up their, their clans and their families and they made their the trek, and they made the journey westward and they go and they reestablished Jerusalem. But once they get there, they desert the city and they live in the suburbs, all right? And so Nehemiah says, we got a problem. <laughs> we got this big walled city, and we don't have anybody living here. All of the people have moved out into the suburbs. And so he said, I've got to get the people in the city. So here's what he did. He said, of those who had came up in the first return, and I found it. And I found their their names written in it. And so here he goes to repopulate the city. As I study this text you today, Nehemiah 7, 1 through 5, there are so many Wonderful truths that we can extrapolate from the text, the sacred text, and we can apply it uh, to our lives. Whether we're in church or whether we're part of a sports team, whether we're part of a business, whether we're part of a corporation, whatever our location may be, there are some great principles here. Some salient features really of leadership and, and really how God leads us and enables and empowers us to lead others. One of the things that just jumps out at me is how Nehemiah, he names names and then he omits names. Did y'all notice that he talks about the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites? By the way, all those people had names, but their names are not listed. And sometimes that's just the way it is, right? We do tasks, we have our duties, we do things, and sometimes we are recognized and sometimes we're not, but that's okay because they all had a responsibility. Then he does mention Hanani and Hanani. So like you, I've been watching Golden State put a beat down on Cleveland, and that just tickles me. I don't really know why, but I'm just, and, and I really have no dog in this fight. The Dallas Mavericks and the Houston Rockets aren't playing, so I'm not watching a whole lot, but I, I don't know what it is about Cleveland. I just want them to lose. Is that, is that just wrong? But anyhow, I, I, thank you. I appreciate that. And so, Golden State is really putting it on them. Now, there are two leaders of those two teams. Unquestionably, they are the leaders. The leader of the Cleveland Cavaliers unquestionably is LeBron James. Yes, that's who it is, LeBron James. He is the leader. Now, he has a supporting cast. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love are his Hanani and his Hanani. And it's obvious, if you were to ask LeBron James, LeBron, could you just go out there and take the the Golden State Warriors by yourself? And he would laugh in your face and say, absolutely not, we are a team. Yes, I am the leader, but without Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving and the others, then we're just in big, bad trouble. And then you come on over to Golden State, and I'm having a hard time determining who who the real leader is of this team. I thought it was Steph Curry, but there's a... There's a tall guy that used to play for University of Texas, Kevin Durant. This guy's amazing, and he's lighting it up. But if you were to ask those guys, well, can you take them on by yourself? They would say, no, we have our own Hanani's and our Hananani's, and their names are, well, there's one of them, Clay Thompson, and there's Damon Green. You see what I'm saying? There is leader. There's a leader. And there's a pastor of a church, and then there are associate pastors and deacons and teachers. There's a CEO of a corporation, but there's a CFO and a COO. There's a head coach, right? But he has associate coaches or assistant coaches. He has offensive coordinators. If you're in defense, in, def- I mean, in football, you have defensive coordinators. Do you see the drift? I mean, it's just the same 2,500 years ago you've got Nehemiah, then you've got these unnamed people and leaders, and then you've got names like Hananiah and Hanani. So what I, what I want to do today is I just want to look at this text and uh, I've spent a lot of time with it these last, uh, last really five, six days just studying it for you and wanting to be able to encourage you and to speak words, especially to those of you who are leaders. In all of us, really our leaders in some capacity. First of all, we've got to lead ourselves, right? If we don't lead ourselves well, no, nobody else will. But many of you men, you are the leaders of your home, and God bless you for being a godly dad and a, and a godly father and a godly husband, and, and you're leading. And some of you have your own businesses, and just talking to somebody this week on the phone, he, he's leading his business well, and God is blessing him. And I'm praying for all of our business leaders at Great Hills Baptist Church that God would bless you with good leadership, good delegation, good motivation, and and good business principles so that God just blesses your business, and in turn, you bless the kingdom of God, including your church. Some of you are coaches of football teams. I know this. And some of you are are, are leaders in your your home, your association. You know, even associations have leaders. I went to a a meeting uh, one time in in our homeowners association. There's a president. There's a vice president, and then there's a secretary treasurer, and then there's the rest of us commoners. You know, we're, we're just there. We live there. But that's okay. You know, the Bible is just real and true to life. But the Bible records the stories of those who lead well, watch this, and finish well. Anybody can start well, but the prize really goes to the ones, it was demonstrated in this video a moment ago, the ones who actually run the race and Finish well. There's something interesting about starting and almost finishing and having a great temptation to stop. Does anybody relate to that? Man, I I tell you, when I was working on my my doctor's degree a number of years ago, I I was working on my PhD and I'd gone through German. I'd gone through three years of seminars and, and I was thinking to myself, somewhat a little with hubris and a little bit of pride because I prize myself not on being the smartest person in the room, but always being the person who worked harder than everybody else. And I just kind of had a little arrogance about that. By the way, that's not good. Anytime you have arrogance, God doesn't like that. God's not associated with that. But I I had it in the back of my mind that, well, that's never going to happen to me. Because if I go through four years of college and fourth years of master's degree and five years of Ph.D., when I get to the end, buddy, I'm just going to bust through the finish line and say, whoopee, look what I've done until I got there. And when I finish those three years of seminars, I'm like, I have nothing left. I I have no desire. I have no ability to go right a 250 page paper called a dissertation. And so it just kind of all came back on me like, hmm, not so bad now, are you, little fella? And I was like, This is hard. I mean, but people would say, but, but but look how far you've come. Surely the tape, the tape is right there, just run through the tape. And and I'm talking to some people in this room today. You're like that. You've come so far. God has blessed you so much. And the end is in sight for you to finish well and to do a great deed for God. And all this temptation comes on you to say, just sit down, take it easy, don't, don't worry about finishing, let somebody else do it. And I'm coming alongside you today with Nehemiah as our support saying, you can do it. Listen, with God's help, you will do it. You will be victorious. He will bring around you your gatekeepers and your Levites and your priests. He will bring around you your Hananis and your Hananias. And he will bring around all this help that you need. Mm, Most of all, the Spirit of God living within you, empowering you to do what it is. Listen, do what it is, what God has put it on your heart to do. You say, that's the longest introduction of a sermon that I've ever heard in my life. It is long. So the points I want to make, there's two. The two points I want to make. First of all is, God has a place for everybody in his work. God has a place for you. God has a place for me. Sometimes their names are mentioned. The name Nehemiah is prominently, conspicuously mentioned, or at least he's referred to. He's the one speaking most of the time in the book that bears his name. But I love in verse 1 where it says, he says it uh, this way. He goes, then it was when the wall was built. All right, he's almost done. Okay, the wall is, is built. Then he said, I hung the doors when the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Nehemiah never ceases to amaze me. Here he is hanging the doors in my mind's eye. The wall has been completed, but as the leader, he wants to step up and say, people, look, we've got to finish the gates. We've got to finish you know, the entrances, and, and, and there's just a little more to do. And so, here, here I'll help you. And I, I don't know what you're seeing in verse 1, but I, I'm seeing Nehemiah get a hammer and, and maybe put a hat on his head, and he gets a few guys around him and say, we are going to go finish, and we're going to finish out the, the gates uh, of the wall. And I thought, man, that's a good leader. Really, a good leader is somebody that doesn't tell you, yeah, this is what you should do. It's somebody that gets in there with you and says, let me show you how to do this. It's kind of like the president of our Southern Baptist Convention. I've been watching him on Twitter this week. And Steve Gaines is the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, but he went out with about 100 Southwestern Seminary students yesterday in Phoenix, Arizona, and went knocking on doors, sharing the gospel, doing evangelism, not talking about just, hey, this is what you people ought to do, but him and Donna, dear precious people, him and Donna actually went out with the people, knocking on the doors, leading people to Christ. A true follower, a true leader, and really somebody that has followers, is somebody who rolls up their sleeves and they get busy, and they say, come, I, I will join you. Watch watch me. Now, I'm going to date myself here for just a minute as I hold my ribs, take a deep breath. How many of y'all ever heard of the Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy? Okay, okay, good, good, good. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you a little test to see how well you know the Pillsbury Doughboy. Now, some of the students are looking at me like, how old are you, brother? Pillsbury Doughboy. Okay, y'all, y'all with me now. Y'all, y'all stay with me. Whenever the little doughboy comes on the scene and you poke him in the tummy, what does he do? <laughs> oh, that hurts to laugh. Why did I do that? He goes, he does that little laugh, right? And he, just, he, he, he does like this, doesn't he? Philip Pillsbury, he is the guy who started this company. And it's so amazing, when you look at his life, he was one of those guys, like Nehemiah, he's, he's building this milling company, this empire, really. Here we are today, enjoying his crescent rolls, enjoying Pillsbury, uh, you know, all their products. But it all started with Philip. Philip Pillsbury was a hardworking man. When he began this company, he would get out among his employees, his factory workers, right? He's, the C- he's more than the CEO. I mean, he is the owner. He is the one who began this whole process. And he gets out there, and he rolls up his sleeves, and he says, guys, let me show you how we do this. And one day, when he stuck his hand into the the grain there, it, it cut off three of the fingers on his hand. And the rest of his life, he literally walked around like this. But I'm telling you, his employees absolutely adored him. They said, let me tell you about our boss. Man, our boss is not just that guy sitting up there in some ivory tower and just tucked away, you know, making the big bucks. No, he comes down here and he works. If you look on his right hand, three of his fingers are gone because one day he was out here trying to help us and show us how we do this this enterprise. Well, there's an article written by by a man named Harvey McKay. And he says these words about about Philip Pillsbury. He says, the higher you go, the more important it is to stay in touch with your customers and your employees. Did y'all hear that? Somebody need to hear that. The higher you go, the more important it is to stay in touch. You don't have to put your hand in a grain roller to prove that you're a good manager, but you should walk your plant every day. Okay? That's Nehemiah. He is a good leader. He's out front taking on the criticisms, taking on the oppositions, but he's also hanging the doors, whatever that looks like. That's before Home Depot and Lowe's, amen. He's out there getting the things together, and he's he's showing them, and he's, he's just doing the deal. So God has a place for the Nehemiahs, right? We need leaders. We need good leaders, godly leaders, men of integrity, women of God who are full of integrity, who will tell others, say, watch me, and I will show you how to do this. But then you have what I call the unnamed leaders. Now, these would be the gatekeepers and the Levites and the singers. Did y'all see that in verse 1? Nobody's name is mentioned. And I find this very fascinating. It just calls them the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites. So let me, let me explain to you what's going on. The, the gatekeepers are their primary task is to work in the temple. They are to watch over the temple, and the gatekeepers, they are to guard the temple. And then you had the priests, and you had the Levites, and you had the singers, and they had their role in the temple, temple worship, right? They're, They're singing praise to God. They're teaching the Torah. They're having their worship. But now times have changed times are difficult. Not only do they have to take care of the temple, Nehemiah has appointed them positions on the wall. And I find this very fascinating. Their names are not mentioned, the pastors and the ministers of music, if you will, the clergy. Their names are not even mentioned, but they're taken out of the temple precinct and Nehemiah puts them out on the wall to help protect the wall. And I just find this very fascinating. First of all, That's really not what they're trained to do. But desperate times call for, help me, (laughs) desperate measures. Uh, Number two, this is a vast difference and a change for them. I mean, it it would be the equivalent of y'all saying, Brother Danny, we don't want you to preach. We want you to go on a construction site and just do construction for us. And I would go, please help me. I I mean, you know, I'm pitiful at stuff like that, but if that's what you need me to do, I'll do it. And the change, everybody hates change. Nobody likes change except a wet diaper of a baby, right? A baby likes change. That's the only one that likes change. But these guys are leaving the temple. Don't even call me by my name. Don't even recognize me, okay? It's not important. I'm a gatekeeper. I'm a priest, a Levite, a singer. Nehemiah needs me on the wall, so I'm going to come work on the wall. It's interesting to me, fascinating to me. And then you got other people's names who are mentioned. And I want to look just briefly at them because their names are mentioned for a reason. Hanani would be his brother, right? We've looked at him before. He's the one that gave the announcement to Nehemiah in the first place in chapter 1 that there was a problem. And then you have the name uh, Hanani. And it says in verse, uh, verse 2, it says he is the citadel. He, he, lead, he leads the citadel. Do you all remember what that was? We, I know it's been a number of weeks since we studied it, but let me share you with you what the citadel is. Um, The citadel, if this is the temple, let me go back to my illustration. If this is the temple, and we're pointing north, then there would be a fortress. There would be an edifice built right here called the citadel. And the citadel would be the place where, if it's going to be attacked, if the temple and the city is going to be attacked, then it's the most vulnerable here in the north. So they constructed a citadel, a fortress, a place where you could go and you could be the first line of defense. You had the citadel, you've got the temple, and then you've got the surrounding, the gate, okay? So Hanani was asked by Nehemiah, would you lead, not the temple, but we need you to be at the citadel. And the reason he was chosen, did y'all see that tucked away in God's word? There were two things there. The Hebrew word emet, M-E-E-T-M, E-M-E-T, emet. He was faithful. He could be counted on. He was dependable. And then it says, did y'all see it in your text? Interesting. He feared God more than most. He feared God more than most. Listen, if you're going to look for somebody to hire, if 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 you're the coach of your team and you need to hire somebody, you're the president of your organization, you're the supervisor, you need to hire somebody, you're a pastor, you need to hire somebody. Here, listen to this. Look for somebody who is faithful, Right? Faithful, and number two, they fear God. Here, here, listen to this. Somebody who's faithful, they get up in the morning, they go to work, they do their duty, they don't call in sick much because they, they, got, they got work to do, right? <laughs> Stay with me. And, and they're faithful, but watch this. They also are fearful. They fear God. You say, now I can understand a God fearing, a man, a woman fearing woman, a woman who fears God, a man who fears God, I can understand they would make great employees on a church staff. But what in the world has that got to do with the real world, preacher? I mean, you only work one day a week for heaven's sake. Come on, talk to us about the real world here where where the real things happen, you know, in business and economy and in politics and, and, you know, in agriculture and all these media and all these important things in the world. Why would I need to hire somebody who's faithful and God-fearing? Here's why. If they're faithful and they fear God and honor God and worship God, they will do a tremendous job for you. Because they're people of the book. They know Colossians 3 where it says, Don't be an eye-pleaser, men-pleaser, but fear God, honor God, do your work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. So, number one, Nehemiah 7, 1 through 5, verses 1 and 2. God has a place for everybody. He has a place for me as a Nehemiah. He has a place for you, your names are not even mentioned. Do y'all know that we've got people right now whose names nobody knows? God knows, and the people in this building over here know. We've got about 90 people right now that you don't even see, and a bunch of them are kids. I mean, they're babies, infant babies, till about three or four years of age. And we have a whole army of volunteers You say, well, those people are not important. Bring those infants in here. Let's see how church goes, all right? Bring the one-year-olds in here. Let's see how how, how that goes for you. It will not go well, I promise you. So we're not even mentioning their name. We don't even know who they are. God knows who they are. Listen, behind me, there is a staff of people tucked away in a room called the media suite. And they're live streaming the services right now. We got cameras all over the place and they are videotaped. They're they're recording this service. And, And in the media suite, I mean, who are those guys back there? They're volunteers. They are the unnamed gatekeepers and Levites and singers that that's not their real job in the real world. But praise God, they're giving their time and their volunteerism so that we can do what we do here. Everybody's important. Everybody has a place. Everybody... Has responsibility and then you've got you got mentioned you got names of people that you do know that you recognize their names if I were to mention some names in the church the Hanani's and the Hanani's well they've got a place everybody's got a place the important thing is find your place and when you find your place in the kingdom of God and in the church when you start your work make sure you finish it and finish it well okay Point number two, and we're done. Second point is, sometimes God gives his greatest assignments when the times are the hardest. Sometimes God gives the greatest assignments when times are the hardest or the most difficult. And I wanna show you this in verse three of Nehemiah chapter seven. And I said unto them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. You say, What in the world does that mean? And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. This is an important assignment, but it's, it, it has to be done. Nehemiah is like, Okay, listen, Don't open those gates until the sun is hot. In other words, don't open it early in the morning and don't open it late at night because that's when we're most susceptible. Open it when the sun is shining bright, when God and everybody else can see what's going on. Because here's the problem. We've got people who want to do us harm. We've got people who want to slip in in the cloak and the cover of the early dawn or the dusk in the night. But don't even open those gates until everybody is on guard and, and it's bright sunshine and we can see exactly who's coming in. It's kind of like, sounds like our borders, doesn't it? And borders are protection. Borders are important. We need to let the good people in and we need to keep the bad people out. The people want to come and do us harm as a nation in Canada above and Mexico below, then let's have good protection, okay? That's just common sense. I don't understand why that's so difficult, but keep the good people coming in, praise God, I'm an immigrant, you're an immigrant, we all got here somehow, but keep the people out who want to do us harm. That's what Nehemiah's doing. And this is a great assignment, but watch this. This assignment was given in very difficult days because in this milieu of time, in this epic period of time, there are those all around Jerusalem who are seeking to do the people of God harm, right? And so he's asking the gatekeepers, he's asking those to come in and to protect. But the other one is, to me, even more astounding. Here you have this walled city, and you had nobody living in it. <laughs> you got this city that was the city of God, Jerusalem, and, and, and it's walled off, and everything is done, and they're looking around like, we got this beautiful city, but we don't have people. Nehemiah, where are the people? What, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna function and keep protecting our city? If people are continuing to live in the suburbs, so this is what Nehemiah did. It's genius. But I can't give Nehemiah credit because verse 5, he gave God credit. Do y'all remember that part when he said, and God put it in my heart? I love that. He's like, I'm not smart enough to think of this on my own. God revealed to me, remember the genealogy. Remember the people. Their names are written down 100 years ago. Go find that list. Go find that registry and you'll find those people. You'll find their people, you'll find their posterity. If you go get them, Nehemiah, all you gotta do is ask them. They'll come out of the suburbs, they say, yeah, my name's written there. I was one of those that signed up. My family, my dad signed me up to go live in Jerusalem. Yep, right, not live in the suburbs, so yeah, you're right. I do need to come and I need to get here in the the city. Isn't that interesting that Nehemiah made these decisions not when man, things were just busting and things were going great. He made these hard decisions or he gave these great assignments when times were very difficult. And the more things change, <laughs> the more they stay the same. I, I got to read this quote to you. I, I came across it in my study. It was just like a, like a gold nugget in the midst of a, <laughs> of a grounded area. It, l- listen to this quote. Warren Wiersbe has a way of doing this. He kind of ties things together in a very, in just a powerful way. He said, you know, a city is much more than walls and gates and houses. A city is people. That's what a city is. A city is people. In the first half of this book of Nehemiah, the people existed for the walls, but now the walls, they exist for the people. It was time to organize the community so that the citizens could enjoy the quality of life that God wanted them to have. God had great things in store for Jerusalem. For one day, his son, his beloved son would walk the city streets. His beloved son would teach in the temple and then his son would die outside the city walls. These Jews were the living link that connected the historic past with the prophetic future and made it possible for Jesus Christ to come to the city. I never put it quite like that. I never saw it like that. Ezra chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 7 are to the Old Testament what Hebrews chapter 11 is to the New Testament. The people of faith. A listing of the people whose faith and courage made things happen. End of quote. Wow. Yeah, a lot more quotes and a lot more information. If you're interested in this document, I would, uh, I'd, I'd give it to you. So the last thing I want to say is when God gives great assignments in hard times, I think about the believers, the followers of Christ in a nation called Egypt. I know Egypt has made the, the news, and rightfully so. Do y'all remember Palm Sunday? There were two bombings. I, can't, I just can't wrap my mind around such evil and such wickedness. Why in the world would you bomb churches, innocent people, in their church worshiping God? Well, there were two bombings. And then just a couple of weeks ago, do y'all remember there was a bus, buses, of Egyptian believers, they were with their kids, their, the wives, the husbands, the grandparents, they were all in these buses and they were on their way to a field trip. They were just going to have fun as followers of Christ and just be together in fellowship. And these demonic ISIS fighters, they, they blew them up. They just blew, blew them up and, they, and they, they died. Many of them died. And I think, well, what kind of evil is that that would just just obliterate followers of Christ. Well, I got to reading this article this week from Open Doors USA. It's a a great ministry. Much like Samaritan's Purse and Voice of the Martyrs, there are people out there that are doing a phenomenal work of ministering to the persecuted church. And I came across this uh, this article, and I want to read some of it to you because it is so incredibly powerful. Brian me is the author when he says, but what Satan means for destruction, God is using for his kingdom by creating a platform for Christians to share the gospel like no other time in Egypt's history. The Christian leaders have responded in the midst of such horrific events, and here's what's happening. After Palm Sunday attack, the attacks, the churches were cleaned up quickly, and then they were packed. They were packed out with followers of Christ. They had services every day of the week, and you couldn't get a seat because the people of God just kept running back to the church, the church of Egypt. will obviously continue to face persecution and direct attacks from the radical Muslim groups. We, these are Egyptian believers speaking, they said, we have to live with this. This is part of our life. We are in a spiritual warfare against the kingdom of darkness. It has never been so clear and so open for the church to share the gospel. And I quote, Easter Sunday on Channel 1, our equivalent to CNN in the United States there was a two-hour interview with a Coptic priest and an evangelical pastor of the largest church in Egypt. And for two hours, they told the old nation about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he can change a person's life. And through Jesus, our religion empowers us to offer love and forgiveness to even those who seek to kill us. It was an incredible platform to evangelize the whole country of Egypt. The focus was on the death, the resurrection of Christ, and what it means, and how to have faith. Christian faith is all about love and forgiveness and how this relates directly to our persecutors. God is revealing his love to the people of Egypt. Here's the quote. Mercy, I hope I can get through it. Listen to this quote, church. Listen carefully. Pain. Pain and agony are like seeds growing up through the soil of our country to produce the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amazing, amazing. You think our assignment's tough, how about that assignment? You think your, your, your world is hard and it is, and I know it, I'm not mitigating that. My world's hard at times, bad things happen. But what if God assigned you to Egypt? We're doing what you're doing. This very moment, you can be sent straight to eternity. Now, it, you tell me that. You, how, does, how, does, how do y'all deal with that? I had a guy tell me one time in Austin, he said, that's just the luck of the draw, buddy. That's just the luck of the draw. You got, you got the luck of U.S., and they didn't. And I said, no, that's not the way I see it. I see it as a sovereign God chose me and allowed me to live here, and the least I can do is speak for those less fortunate. The least I can do is go every year to these nations of the world and share with the the blessings of the gospel. And so God gives his greatest assignments when times are the hardest. Which leads me to say, if God has given you a tough assignment, thank him. Say, thank you, God, you've entrusted this to me. And God times are hard, but Lord, just like in Nehemiah's day, my land, those guys, they're, not, they're, they're preachers for heaven's sake. They're not gate protectors, but they did it and they didn't complain about it. And Nehemiah, there he is leading the way and he is helping and giving good godly leadership. And I, I don't know what your assignment is. I don't know what God is asking you to do. I don't, I don't know who the troubled people are in your life, but here it is, God has you ex- He has you exactly where he wants you to do exactly what you're doing so that you'll give him praise. God has a place for you. He has a place for me. Sometimes your name is mentioned, sometimes it's not. And God gives his greatest task when times are the hardest. So I encourage you with this, Great Hills. I encourage you with the Word of God today. And I'm so glad that God preserved Nehemiah 7, 1 through 5. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad I had this accident because I wouldn't have spent three days in this text, (laughs) studying this text like I did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, had I not had the accident. God takes tough times, tough circumstances, and he creates something beautiful out of it. Mm, 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 mm. Watch this as long as you don't give up as long as you don't quit so don't quit let's pray together and have our invitation thank you so much for listening thank you for being here today maybe you're here today and you'd say i tell you what pastor this is exactly what i needed to hear i needed to know that god knows my name and that's enough for me and the reason god has given me this hard task is because it is a great task can i just come alongside of you today my friend and just say Praise the Lord. I rejoice with you, and I'm just grateful to God that he has spoken to your heart today. Some of you are here today, and you're not, you're not in the game. You're, you're, not in, you're not involved in the great project. You're, you're not a part of the Christian faith, and, and we want you to be a part. God wants you to be a part. He has a place for you at the table. He has a seat reserved for you. It has your name on it. Come on. All he's asking you to do is accept the invitation and come up to the table and feast with the people of God and then be sent out on wonderful missions for God. You say, well, how do I do this? How do I get in the game? Well, it's very simple. The Bible says if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved, meaning you call on him for forgiveness of your sins. You say, God, I have blown it, and Lord, I am sorry, and I, today I commit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Would you do that today, friend? No, not tonight, not even this afternoon or tomorrow. Would you do it today? i tell you, life is, is fleeting. I mean, I fell off of that bike. The first thing I did, I hit my head on the ground very hard. And I praise God that I had a helmet on my head. But if I hadn't had a helmet on my head, there's no doubt I would not be standing here today. But life is a vapor. And so don't waste another moment. If you don't know Christ today, if he, and you know if you don't know him, right? You know that. You know if the Spirit of God's really living in you or not. You, you, you know that there's joy and there's peace unexplainable or, or not. And if it's not, then today, today, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, today is the day of salvation. So believe today. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Others of you, you know the Lord, but you're just walking really at a guilty distance from the Lord. And I, and I want to come alongside you and just draw you into the table closer. And, and, and let God show you your place and your responsibility. You say, well, Brother Daniel, I'm, I, my name needs to be known. I mean, I want my name in the lights, buddy. I want everybody to see just how amazing and how gifted I am. The preschool and the media is for somebody else, not for me. Well, let me pray for you, okay? Because you're far from God. You're you're like I was with that PhD dissertation. You just think you're God's gift to the world. Well, I'm not and you're not. God will have to humble you and draw you in because really the only way we live the Christian life is the way we entered it and that's through the cross. That's through death to self, Raised to life for Jesus. Hey, listen, if that's you, hey, I confess this to about a thousand people, and I don't know how many more hundreds of people watching this broadcast today or on TV. I confess it to the whole world, my arrogance and my pride, and God humbles me, and God draws me closer to himself. Would you do the same? Would you? That may be your next step. That may be the great barrier, the wall between you and God, and you, and great success is your arrogance. And God is saying, I want that. I died for that. I can, I can cover that. Would you give that to the Lord today? Some of you, next step for you, you just say, God, here I am. I, I don't bring a lot to the table, but what I've got, God, you got. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Lord, I'll be a part of this church. I'll help the, the preschoolers. I'll help the media. Lord, I'll teach a class. I'll be a deacon. I don't, Lord, whatever you want me to do, praise God. Praise the Lord. Would you come? Let us know who you are. <laughs> our crystal ball is broken, church. Your pastor's crystal ball is broke. I can't look in the future. I can't look in your heart. It's impossible. Would you let us know? Hey, I'm here. I'm available. I want to be a part of your church. I want to serve God. And I want to be one of those that he gives great assignments, even in hard times. So, Lord, today our invitation it's for your people, God, to draw close to you, and it's for those that don't know you to come for the very first time, become a follower of Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of decision. Pray that you bless it, O oh God. Would you do, God, what only you can do and speak to the hearts, The sometimes, Lord, the more hard hearts and the proud hearts of the men and the women and the students who are listening to this message, God, would you penetrate them with the laser of the word of God and there would be brokenness, There would be humility and confession, and then there would be great forgiveness and restoration. I pray that you'd do it, God, for your glory and for your great name and your fame. And finally, Lord, I'm praying that you'd bring people into your kingdom from this place, even now. For I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. Uh, Jana's going to lead us. Our team's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing praise to God. But as they sing... Why don't you come? Maybe you should come to the altar and kneel at the altar or take a pastor by the hand and say, pray for me. I do want to be part of God's kingdom. I do want to be a part of this church, and I, I just want God to use me. Let us know who you are. Would you come even now? I'm going to be praying for you. God bless you as you come.